Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. I want to introduce our guest. His name is Scott Masley, and our topic today is surviving a sibling. Scott Masley's older brother, Chris, was killed in a car accident December 5, 1994. In shock, Scott found the compassionate friends and after several years became the co-leader of his chapter's sibling group, eventually becoming sibling representative for the metro Atlanta area. As a result of his loss and in honor of Chris and other bereaved siblings, Scott wrote, Surviving a Sibling, a book based on responses of hundreds of online surveys completed by bereaved parents and siblings. Scott has published articles in We Need Not Walk Alone magazine and in Chicken Soup for the Grieving Soul. He appeared on Peachtree Morning's television show and was featured on Fox 5 News in Atlanta. On this show, Scott will discuss ways of discovering life after loss. Scott lives in Georgia with his wife and two daughters. They know and love Chris, even though he was gone before they came along. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And yeah, I just want to say one more thing. I'm sorry. I just want to say Go one ahead. more thing, and that's that I saw Scott speak several years ago in Atlanta at a Compassionate Friends conference, and he was so fabulous and had such a positive way of talking about what he's gone on to do since his brother died that I said, okay, I don't... I don't know who this person is, but I need to track him down and get him on the show. And it, it took some legwork, but I finally got him, and I'm, I'm excited to have him here today. Thanks for the effort. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, Scott. And could you tell us a little bit about your brother and how old were you when he died and how did that happen? Sure. I was 25, and uh, Chris was 27. My old brother's name was Chris, so we were about two years apart. And he had recently moved back to Atlanta uh, for a job that he'd been wanting to get. He was a pharmaceutical rep, so he drove around calling on doctors and, and hospitals, and he was basically representing some um, drugs that dealt with multiple sclerosis. He had just called on a hospital in uh, Dothan, Alabama, some doctors he knew, and as he was leaving the hospital, he came up on an intersection that we think that he must have thought that it was a four-way stop because it appeared that way. There was some construction going on. You couldn't really see but basically what happened was there was someone coming uh, perpendicular. He kind of did a short stop and then kept going, thinking that the other person would had to stop, but the other person doesn't uh, didn't stop. It was only a two-way stop, so the other car hit him, knocked his car, Chris's car into a um, telephone pole, mm. and there was a fireman, off-duty fireman who was across the street painting a house, and he came and sat in the car with Chris until they uh, the ambulance came and they had to get the jaws of life and cut out the top of the car and they got Chris out and brought him back to the hospital and uh, he ended up dying during surgery as they were trying to trying to save his life and it was wow so was he, he was alive with this fireman when he was sitting there yes and could he talk um, not a whole lot he I, I asked you know what what did he say I asked the nurses what he said and they said that he was talking about how he was having some trouble breathing and that kind of thing mm. Mm-hmm. He's probably having inter- internal bleeding. Is that what was going on? Yeah. yeah. I, I have the name and number of the fireman who sat with him, but I've never actually talked to him. The nurse who called, what happened was my dad called me at work that day and said that Chris had been in an accident and that it was pretty serious 
and then I needed to, to go home. So it was about a 45-minute drive. I drove out to my uh, my parents' house where they live, and when I got there, my mom was there, and she seemed pretty calm. So I thought, okay, he must be okay. It must not be as bad as it sounded or anything. And then she got on the phone and, you know, immediately just started yelling, this can't be true, you know, not my baby and that kind of stuff, and oh, no. kind of dropped the phone, and then I knew it was bad. And So I picked up the phone and talked with a nurse, and it was, it was hard for her to give us the news as well because they knew Chris. Oh, wow. Because, you know, they were his clients, and they had a relationship with him, and so, that you know, he came right back in, and they said, wait a minute, that's Chris. He just left, and so she had to call and, and tell him. So he had, Chris had just left from that hospital? Yeah. He had been oh, there probably 15 minutes before. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a shock. Now, this left you as an only child. That's right. And and did that strike you at the time, and, and how has that been, and, you know? It, at the time, it didn't hit me immediately, but after a while, it kind of came to me that that I was an only child and that eventually I was going to be older than my older brother. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty weird situation where I, I remember the day actually when I when I lived longer than he did, and I, I still look at the pictures and feel like he even now I feel like he looks older than I do now, which I'm mm-hmm. sure is not the case, but it just feels that way. You know, he's always going to feel like my older brother. Um, yeah, I've heard siblings say, because I, I was older than my brother, so that never happened to me, but I've, I've heard siblings say so many times, it's very strange when you get past their birthday, when you right. become older than your older sibling. It's, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, there, there are definitely some things that change when you're the only child. I mean, you get the questions from people who say, you know, hey, do you have any brothers or sisters? Just an innocent question and casual conversation. And then you hesitate for a minute because you don't want to scare them off. And um, what I usually used to say is, I had a brother, and now now it's just me. Mm-hmm. Or I used to have a brother, you know, and that kind of thing. I feel weird saying I'm an only child because I still don't feel like I'm an only child. So you feel like you have to honor his memory because you grew up as a sibling, right? I mean, as a brother, you know, as somebody's brother. Correct. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Scott. I just want, you know, I all the time. I was talking to my mom about this the other day. I have parents all the time say, I am so worried about the fact that I only have an only child. I'm worried that this sibling death has destroyed my other, my surviving child's life because now they're only an only child and it's destroyed their lives. Right. Well, I, one of the things that I found when I did the online surveys with the Compassionate Friends website... This is the one that's the basis of your book, right? Yeah, this was part of what I based the book on when I did a lot of surveys with online, with uh, breed parents and then another survey with surviving siblings. And that came out of the first few times I went to the group called the Compassionate Friends, I, I was the only sibling there, so I sat in on the parents group. Mm-hmm. And they were really focused on me pretty intensely, and I realized that they had a need for knowing what surviving siblings were going through. And then when I went to the surviving sibling group for a few years, I realized that they kind of, you know, had had a communication gap between the parents and the siblings. So we did the surveys, and some of the questions were about, you know, how can parents help their, I would ask the siblings, what can your parents say to you to help you? And the kind of the responses that I got from siblings were things like, if the most helpful things parents could say to the surviving siblings were that we don't expect you to take the place of your siblings. Um, we don't expect you to take on his or her goals or try to live her life or to all of a sudden become the funny one at the table because you're deceased siblings. Oh, what a wonderful point, the funny one at the table, yeah. You know, you can't, we don't expect you to fill that space 
and that we love you for who you are, and we don't expect you to be any different, but we want you to talk to us about what you're going through uh, and don't feel like you have to protect us by keeping your feelings from us. Those were some of the things that siblings said, and then they said really not to push too much. A lot of surviving siblings said they felt that their parents tried to push the, the conversation a little bit by always wanting to talk about the surviving sibling. See, now that's, that's another question I have. Parents say, you know, our kids aren't talking to us and we're not sure what to do. We're not sure if we should, you know, push it or we're not sure if we should just allow silence. I mean, how to get our kids to open up more. Sure. Well, ba- based on the survey results and then based on my, you know, three or four years involved with the Compassionate Friends and all the siblings that I met, their, their responses would be definitely don't push it just to say, you know, we're here for you. Um, I can tell you why a lot of surviving siblings don't talk to their parents as much as their parents wish they would is because they want to protect them. You know, they surviving siblings will say, hey, my parents are just destroyed by this. Um, they're sad all the time, especially in the early few years of grief. And they say, I don't want to add to their sadness by saying, hey, I'm hurting too. But we all know that we're all hurting, and, you know, just admitting it <laughs> doesn't all of a sudden bring it into light. It's there anyway. So it, in my experience, it's, it's better for the parents just to say, we're here for you when you want to talk about it, give them their space, and, and not to say things like, you know, who are you talking to about this, and I want to make sure you're, you're dealing with it and handling it, because sometimes that pushes uh, kids away who are dealing with it. A lot of times they are talking with their friends, more candidly than they're talking with their parents because they're trying to be strong for their parents. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I say to parents all the time, your kids are trying to be good kids right. by not causing you any more pain. That's why they're not talking about it. You've been through enough. It's not because they're being bad kids or rebelling. or They're trying to protect you. And think about what, what siblings hear when their brother or sister dies and all of their friends and their relatives and their parents' friends and coworkers you know, over the next month, their calls and their letters and cards and everything, and they all say, be strong for your parents. Mm-hmm. Your parents need you now. You know, it's important that you're there for them. You know, are you taking care of them, that kind of thing. And, and the sibling rarely ever hears, how are you? Or, right. It was interesting because, Mom, you and I did that show with the 9-11 siblings, the Kiefer's, uh-huh. and they got literally thousands and thousands and thousands of condolences because their brother was a firefighter who died in 9-11. Their parents got thousands and thousands. They right. got zero. They did they not get none. one. That's amazing. None. Yeah. Zero. So, so what we want to say to you folks out there is uh, not that you need to drum up more uh, condolences for your kids or whatever if you're newly bereaved, but the reality is know that uh, this is what's happening to them and, and this is their experience. Scott, let's uh, quickly say the name of your book and how to get it, though. Okay. It's called Surviving a Sibling, and the best way to find it is on Centering website, which is www.centering with a C, centering.org, and then just click on Sibling Grief, and it'll take you straight to it. Great, and you can also you'll be able to go on our website. We'll have it as listed as one of the books that our uh, guests have written. So, Scott, okay, so what do you think the difference is between um, grieving of the lost child and the sibling? What do the parents need? I, I think. There's some pretty big differences. One is that parents are dealing with their marital relationship as well and struggling with that. The difference from the surviving siblings' point of view is that all of a sudden we see our parents as human beings instead of these invincible 
superheroes that we always thought they were. That's scary. Yeah, and uh, it, because all of a sudden, you know, we've grown accustomed, or people in certain families have grown accustomed to uh, attention and sympathy and caring and the things you hope to get from your parents, and then all of a sudden they're not getting those things, and they can take it personally. And some siblings will interpret that as they wish it was me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, the, wrong, the wrong child died kind of thing? Sure, like all of their attention is going towards the one that's gone, and here I am. But it's not, that's not the truth. The truth is that their energy level is gone. <laughs> yeah, they're, they have internalized, they've like gone inside, and they just don't have it, the strength within them in the early, early parts of grief to be able to show externally how they're feeling towards other people. It's, yeah. At least that's my experience. I'm not the doctor. <laughs> well, what what were parents like when you interviewed them? What what did they say about their kids? What was their worry? I know what my worries were. My worries were that, you know, that um, they weren't going to be okay and that, you know, things were going to fall apart and I didn't have the energy to hold them together. Sure. The number one thing that I always hear from bereaved parents is, why don't they talk to me? Mm-hmm. Why Absolutely. doesn't he talk to me? Why doesn't she talk to me? Is she going through this or not? Yep, that's what I hear, Scott, too. That's because the one they... Thing. Yeah, the kids, the surviving siblings, no matter what age, usually try to protect their parents. They try to be strong. They say, I don't want to add to the grief here. I don't want to add to the sadness. I want to show them that I'm doing okay so that it's one less thing that they have to deal with. So in, in most situations, that's what's happening. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you know, I think that there's one little difference in your situation that some of our listeners have really young children, mm-hmm. and whereas you could intellectualize it. Sure. More. These young kids are probably partially just afraid too. That's right. And uh, what other on. people tell me, you know, hey Scott, quit thinking that the whole world, you know, is like you, because our, we had a really close family. Chris and I were great, great friends. We, you know, we're really close, and not everybody has that. Yeah, you know, Scott, ha- that's that's. I've got to tell you. I mean, you're not, you are an expert on on sibling loss. You had a sibling die, and you've done all these things. I am hearing the same thing you're telling me. That is the number one concern parents have when I work with them clinically, when I do workshops, et cetera, is our kids aren't talking to us. Absolutely. You know? I, I was, you know, meaning if our folks had little younger kids, maybe under seven, mm-hmm. that, you know, the kids might be afraid. I, I, you know, I think the parents may want to, no matter how old they are, they want them to, you know, talk oh, the to kids, them. Oh, the kids might be afraid to talk about their siblings? The kids the might ones? be afraid that their parents are changing, that things aren't right. Oh, I agree. Right. And it's, yeah. and it's scary you know, early parents, on. parents grieving, especially when you're dependent on your parents. Well, Scott, you wrote an article for the uh, called Through the Heart of Grief for the uh, Do Not Walk Alone magazine. And by the way, folks, you can get that. Uh, it's a free magazine, wonderful, and you can get it through the Compassionate Friends website. But you made some comments in this um, that I wanted to bring up because I think they're very good. And um, don't attempt to go around your grief. Did you attempt to go around your grief early on? Originally I did. I, I tried to set an example for everybody and show them how strong I was and that I could you know, go out and work and meet friends and do all these things and help my parents and you well, know, what's happening to you inside? Right, but instead it was just building up, building up, building How up. How did it feel? What was going on for you? Do you well, remember? I just, you know, I realized that before before Chris died, I never cried really at all. I mean, I, even as an older, you know, in my early 20s and teens and everything, I just never cried about anything. And, um, and then all of a sudden after Chris's death, I cried a lot, and I couldn't believe it. And so I would cry by myself. And then I was wondering, hey, you know, what's going on here? I'm trying to be strong and deal with this, and I'm crying, and I can't really control it. Um, but when I finally decided that, hey, I can't, 
I can't go around it, I can't go over it, you know, or anything like that. I just have to go straight through it, which is what Jim Durr, who was a longtime surviving sibling, had told me. He said, you can't, you know, people try to go over it, around it, under it, but the only way to successfully survive it is to go straight through it. So once I just said, you know what, either I can let it come over me and accept that this is part of who I am and learn how to carry it, or I can try to hold it off. How long did that take you? I think that probably took me about six months. Yeah. And, and how, then, did you know, how did you know that that's where you were? I mean, did you hit the wall and get really depressed, feel really bet down? or? Yeah, it was six months was the point where I just really, really got depressed and uh, and just couldn't stop crying, and I'd have to pull off the side of the road, and, you know, I couldn't really even work, and I didn't know what was going on. And then I realized that, hey, this is going to happen to me whether I want it to happen or not, so I better decide that I need to accept that this is part of who I am now and, and learn how to live with it instead of trying to pretend it's not there. Now, when, is that when you started Compassionate Friends? Yes. that's At the same point was when I said, I'm going to go check out this Compassionate Friends group, and that made... That takes a lot different. of nerve for a sibling to go to, into a Compassionate Friends group that was mainly adults. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, appearance. appreciate it. Yeah. Now, did you you talk about in this article forgetting your phone number? Do you remember doing that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's yeah, how bad yeah. the concentration gets, right? Yeah, your brain yeah. is just consumed with you know pretty heavy thoughts, and you just kind of get uh, intellectually clumsy for a little while. Yeah, and also you didn't didn't you find yourself not being able to find out where you were? I I was lost many times in my sure. own neighborhood. How about feeling isolated? Yeah, I think you know one question that that y'all had asked me earlier was what about you know, what's your biggest challenge in being a surviving sibling? And I thought about that. My biggest challenge is that feeling of isolation, that feeling that the closest person in the world to me is gone, mm-hmm. and I can't just pick up the phone and call them when I want to. I can't share joys with them, or I can't, you know, commiserate with them over the phone, or, you know, have a few beers with them, or anything. You know, he's just gone. And that is a pretty big feeling of isolation. Because, you know, you have friends, you have relatives, you have your family, but that person is gone and cannot And, and they don't know you. They, I mean, you have a shared history with the sibling. No one knows you like your brothers and sisters. They know things about you no one else knows. They were there with you. I mean, you're, Chris was with you your entire life. Sure. And you expected to grow old with him. He right. was, he's supposed to be with you right now. It's, life is not supposed to happen this way. Yeah, it's that understanding that was just a given between us. Mm-hmm. You don't... That doesn't exist in most of your other relationships, so you have to explain yourself. And you just miss that ability just to look at someone and have them understand what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And you have no one you can complain about your parents, you know, about your, what your parents are doing. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the, yeah. old joke, the old joke is that every, you had a common enemy, <laughs> your parents. Right. Well, but, you know, y'all had asked about being an only child, and that's one of the things that I realized I talk to my parents a lot more now. I talk to them almost every day mm-hmm. because instead of calling Chris, I call them. And uh-huh. sometimes I feel like I call them too much because I'm just, I, I want to share what's going on, and I'm obviously a talker, so I call them. And sometimes I feel bad that I'm calling them too much when I, you know, but I just, Chris uh-huh. isn't there anymore. The best piece of advice that you could give to siblings and parents who've lost a child and a sibling. The, the best piece of advice I could give would be not to dwell on the whys and the what-ifs. In other words, the, the longer you dwell on the, the unknowns, the questions that you're never going to have answers to, like for me, why did Chris pull out in the middle of that intersection and what was he doing? Was he changing his radio station? Was he, you know, distracted? Or, you know, all the things that I'm never going to know, 
the longer that I dwell on those, the the harder it's going to be for me to accept the reality of the grief and to kind of uh, adapt to it. The way I like to think of it is that I just find that the answers that I can live with, the answers that I can accept, and then I try to understand that there are some questions I'm not going to get the answers to. And and I know there are a lot of religious questions that come up too, and I just have to reason those out and deal with them and say this is something that's a part of who I am. It's heavy, and I have to learn to carry it. I have to learn to carry the tremendous weight of grief and learn how to live with it. Mm-hmm. And that takes a while, and uh, uh, there are folks out there who are still, want, you know, in the whys of the story, and uh, it, it takes a while, huh? Sure. Yeah, the time time is obviously the, the best healer. It has made a huge difference for, for our family. It's been 10 years for me, um, and I know the first two years especially for me were the hardest. Uh, for other people, it's different time things. Don't, don't hold yourself to any timeline or anything, but just understand that, you know, there are, there are a lot of us survivors out here, and we're all surviving, and we're, we're doing okay, that eventually, um, you know, you'll, you'll learn to live with it, even though it's not fun. It's just something that will happen, so don't give up. The definition of surviving is actually rising to act. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to survive the grief, uh, you know, survive the loss of a loved one, then you have to eventually get up. You got to get back up eventually. So don't don't give up. And, right. and you've done stuff like that in your life. And, and I know you wanted to talk about a memory book and other ways that you've kind of moved forward and that you remember your brother and honor his memory. Yeah, and give our uh, listeners some suggestions on how they might do it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, th- one of the things I did that was very helpful for us was create a memory book. I sent a letter out to all our friends, relatives, and many people I could think of that knew Chris, and I said, if you can send me anything, a quote of his, a story, something you remember, a photograph, anything you want, just send it to me, and it will help us because we just it comforts us to know that we're not the only ones missing him. I love that. And because of that, I got tons of stories and things that I had forgotten about Chris. People reminded me of things he had said and done that I had forgotten about which was great because siblings and parents a lot of times just want to hear from other people. You know, hey, I was thinking about your brother today. Something reminded me about your son today. Those kind of things can really comfort us. Now, how far out were you when you did that? Um, Probably about four years. See, I'd love the audience to know that. It's never too late. I mean, And and I love reaching out to others to get their memories because sometimes, you know, when we're in our – Grief, our heightened grief, we can't remember a lot of stuff, and that's scary initially. Right. As time goes on, I was able to remember more. Yeah, so I pull I that book out and look at others. it. Any time I'm really you know, down, I can pull out that memory book and read some of those stories and see the pictures, and it always you know, brings me back up, makes me laugh. It's a great thing to have. And yeah. like you said, have pictures, they had probably had pictures that you weren't even aware of. Sure. And also, a lot of our friends... You know, who had never discussed Chris with me or his death, all of a sudden said, "Boy, I remember that day. I got the call at work, and this is what I went through." And they had never talked with me about it before, but because I had kind of reached out and said, "This is something we'd like to do to remember Chris," all of a sudden they started talking to me about it. And I think they felt it was okay because some time had passed; they weren't afraid anymore. Right. So it helped to uh, helped me a lot to hear what they went. You know, through. I had somebody talk about ten years out where they decided to do a Christmas book. Sure. And give it to someone, and ten years out, they sent letters. 
Oh, it's a great idea. I think and, so too. And I love funny stories because my brother was such a, he always brought so much humor into my life. Right. And I love when people give you funny stories about something. I, I have to give Scott a funny story about our son's name and Heidi's brother's name was Scott. Mm-hmm. When Heidi went to college, he had a TV set in his room, and we didn't have that oh. many TV sets. And Heidi got ready to go to college, and she went in to get the TV set. Because I was going to bring it into my dorm room. That was going to be my television in my dorm room. <laughs> he was off at school, and it was, guess what? Gone. No, it was uh, chained. It, it was there, Scott, but he had chained it with his handcuffs <laughs> to the desk. Now, I was I was leaving on an airplane to go to the West Coast. I could not get that freaking TV right. set unchained. <laughs> he got it, and I didn't have a TV, but that was, that's, yeah, I, it's a funny story. Yeah, that's hilarious. Looking back, <laughs> at the time it wasn't funny, but looking back, it's that's hilarious. Right. Yeah, those, I mean, getting those stories is, is always so helpful. And I know um, my mom, because I mentioned earlier that a fireman had stayed in the car with Chris, uh-huh. every year for Thanksgiving, she takes a big Thanksgiving dinner to the local fire department. Uh, I love that. That's, that's a so wonderful great. bonding. As, as a thank you to the profession, you know, to people uh-huh. who do that kind of stuff. And it just keeps on giving, and every year she keeps on doing it. I love that. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, you and Heidi are an inspiration to me and, and all of the siblings because it makes me, as a parent, feel good because it doesn't end people's lives because their sibling dies. Not at all. No, no, I agree. Like I was saying last week, you know, our lives are not destroyed. It was a defining moment in our lives, and it's been a horrible, horrific thing. But you can go on, and, and Scott and I have, and we have children now, and we have spouses, and we're keeping Chris and Scott's memories alive, and we're, we're telling our kids about their uncle that they'll never know. They'll know their uncles through us. That's true. I, I show pictures of Chris to my kids, you know, who never met him, and then when they say their prayers at night, they pray for Chris, and mm-hmm. um, they know who he is and what he was about, and they recognize him, and I think that's important. And our brothers live on through our children. Mm-hmm. In many ways. So. And some of our listeners do not have, they lost an only child, and we want to say to them that our hearts go out to you, and occasionally we get a little email where people are suffering uh, because they do not have other children, and, and we know wonderful stories about how they reach out to the world and do good in the world also. And and your sibling, your children will live on by the memories that you share with other people in your life. It doesn't have to be other children. It can be friends. Absolutely. You know? and doing big brother services or other things that you do in in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, did you have any other uh, other things you wanted to say before we close the show? Yeah, I just want to, you know, tell people not to give up and uh to have have faith in their themselves and uh to reach out to other people when they need help. <clears throat> that the compassionate friends is there. It's a great bereavement support group that has helped Millions of people worldwide, and I definitely encourage you to get in touch with that group if you haven't already. Absolutely, and it's a great way to tell your story, isn't it, Scott, and to help you move along. And, and uh, again, that idea that others have made it before you, and yep. you can make it too. And so we want to close our show today, and we want to thank Scott Masley for being on. And Heidi, do you want to uh, just say a quick comment about his book? Ah, uh, yes. Thank you so much, Scott. This was a great show, and. Scott's book is called Surviving a Sibling, and I highly recommend it. And he's interviewed hundreds of of people, bereaved parents and siblings. And you can get it through the Centering Corp. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.